coming at you from Scratch and Wolf Studio. It's another episode of Rage Across the Internet, your very favorite Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. I'm sitting here in the studio. To my left, we've got Daniel Tyson. Hey, everyone. And something special for you today. Very special. Very special. We have our friends from Weaponizing Studios. We've got Chris Gunning. Chris? Hey there, everybody. Thank you for having me on, Porter, Danny. Appreciate it. Uh, we're glad to have you back. And you're not alone. You brought back up this time. We have uh, C. Grant Rose in studio, or w- with us as well, not in studio. Grant, what's up? How you doing? Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we are thrilled to have you guys here. Yeah, both of you guys. Thank you so much for being here. It's a huge honor to have you both on the show. Chris, to have you back, and Grant, to have you here for the first time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 100% our pleasure. Like This is this is an opportunity for us to continue to, to, to talk and explore about Savage Age, So um, and, and with people that frankly, that get Savage Age, that are interested in diving into it. So it's really, honestly, our pleasure. Thank you. Again, thank you for being here, because, yes, we are some of those people who are absolutely interested in Savage Age. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I've said before, uh, I'll say it again, you know, I think the future of Werewolf is in the past. And what you guys have brought together, um, and and are still building, I know you've got a a bit of a laundry list of stuff in the works, and it's it's just, I'm, I'm loving every bit of it, and it's just the vision you're showing. I'm really excited, and I think more people should be excited about it. I agree. So anything we can do to help booster that, we're going to do it. Yeah, so I would say Savage Age is generally our opportunity for exploring the background of Werewolf. Like, Werewolf has such a cool background. The tribes are really neat. You know, the triad and the role of Gaia, there's a lot of stuff that can be explored, and those Savage Age allows us to get into 10,000... 15,000 years ago, and not be afraid of it. That's one of the things that I want to underscore in this episode, and and for anybody that's listening. Savage Age, we have spent a lot of time, while it may look intimidating, it is not meant to be intimidating. It deals with an era of history that in a lot of ways is a blank slate. And it's an opportunity for players and storytellers alike to craft their own stories about werewolf, in some ways completely unencumbered by the harder parts of the metaphor or the setting so that is why we designed it and and there's really really there's no right or wrong way to play savage age it's just giving you a new set of tools a different set of tools to explore werewolf and in a lot of ways this is something that that grant and myself and Kason, andy and then our artist paul way our goal has been to to really explore what it is to be a werewolf i mean we all love a werewolf the apocalypse. There's there's no question we're all here for because of that shared vision and love for a game. But there are parts of it that are constraining. And we wanted to explore a setting where a werewolf or a werebore or, you know, any number of the pharaoh that are out there um, have an opportunity to be awesome and badass. And what does that look like? Because it creates different types of challenges really interesting approach. And so that's been our goal for Savage Age. And we have really tried to put into each one of the books, especially the various volumes, volumes one, two, and three, hopefully four coming up soon, different resources in there to help people understand how to play Savage Age. We've got, you know, we've got multiple essays on how to play Savage Age of what humanity looked like 10, 15, 20,000 years ago what the animal world looked like. We're going to be developing some essays on what plant life looked like. We explore different gifts. We have some exploration of different types of different pharaoh. All good. Like, and it's all an opportunity to explore new 
and different types of stuff. And I'll stop there. Stop. No, <laughs> no it's fine. We're, we're, you've given a whole lot of information. Uh, we're definitely interested. But how about Grant? What's your role in all this? So I first come on board as an editor and kind of a uh, fact checker on uh, certain things that were actually in existence back in the day. And then over time, uh, I also write, but I write mostly for V20. So uh, Chris you know, finally asked me, hey, can you start writing some stuff for me? I'd really appreciate it. And just looked at it. I had a little bit of an opening. And you know, I love Savage Age, so I was like, yeah, sure. I wouldn't mind getting involved. And, uh, so, and it's just snowballed from there. At this point, I think I spend more time on Savage Age than I do my own stuff. And well, I know, and Grant, we've had a couple of conversations through Discord, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, of the lore and the setting of Savage Age. And, um, you know, also touching back on a little bit of what Chris said, you know, I think it is, it's fantastic that you, we do, through Savage Age, has the opportunity to, um, to mix the different pharaoh. And I mean, it's all sorts of different pharaoh for, for those of you who aren't familiar. Um, you, you can mix it and you don't have to worry about the baggage of the War of Rage, you know, which is something I've always been critical of on the show. But moving back to your part of it, we, we've talked about the setting in the background. And do you, do you have any just immediate advice for someone sitting down as a storyteller for the very first time uh, for Savage Age specifically? So there's, there's two primary things that I always give new storytellers. Always foot stomp on session zeros to establish, you know, your table to see where everybody's at when it comes to the topics that your story is going to cover. Uh, and then the second thing I tell new storytellers for any, any of the line or storytelling across any game is that make sure that you know the type of story that you want to have. Uh, so when you're looking at the Savage Age, you know the setting's going to be set around the, the Pleistocene, so around the Stone Age, and you have you know Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon, and you have all the Pharaoh that's going to be wrapped up in it. So immediately decide what type of story that you want to run, and then start going from there. Because all the setting stuff is going to, to fall into place uh, rather easily. I mean, like Chris was saying, it's a blank slate back then. You know, there is no political structures you have to be wary of there is no country back and forth and, and there's no history and there's no meta plot that's going to trump anything that a storyteller might think of hey this is a cool part for my story and i'm going to go with that and oh, that's i think that's advice. definitely yeah i think it's definitely a plus that is good advice yeah session zero that's such a big deal and i think that goes almost all around for maybe all role-playing yeah. games but no, still that's Oh, but I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I know we've talked. There, there are people who aren't, aren't familiar. You know, you say the Stone Age. And I mean, right, we, all, right. we, we all can agree that the Flintstones is only partially accurate. Um, <laughs> partially? You know, At all? It's only semi, you know, biographical. <laughs> right. But um, so how, what, yeah. what, is, so, what does someone so do with that? Because it's so vast. Right, right. So the more specific, like, Savage Age advice I would give for new storytellers, it, there's going to be certain stories that's going to be easier for them to tackle. You know, you, you have man versus nature because that was the, the preeminent thing that was going on back then. You know, man did not have nature mastered at that point. So those stories are going to be the easiest to build. You know, how, how, are, how is your troop going to, or your pack, going to be successful and live and to protect their people against not only the normal natural world that happens, all the different you know, hunting and, and finding food and preventing predators from attacking your people, but also uh, all of the complications from being a changing breed and having to go about your uh, triad purpose, you know, your, your guy and mandate, and all the different antagonists that you can have from those three different things, uh, the, the three different heads of the triad to support your guy and mandate. So yeah, that'd be the very first thing that I would establish as a storyteller is which changing breeds are you going to have in your story, as in the players, and then what their mandate is, because their mandate's 
dictate what the breed's purpose is for existence. And then once you have those mandates, you can find a happy median and a connection between all of your player characters to really start building your story on. Yeah, that, that actually um, about <laughs> covered my next question, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, your <laughs> face right now, like, damn it, there's my next question. <laughs> no, it was. Okay, I, I was going to bring up that. Uh, you know, let me... Let me add something, though, in the sense that you guys mentioned Session Zero. In a lot of ways, when we are writing about Savage Age, we're writing about an entire setting that is a Session Zero. Savage Age, we approach in a way that's a lot like we're building the foundations or giving the storytellers and players the kind of the building blocks to build into the apocalypse. The cool stuff, the little elements that we want to look at again and you know, why is something the way it is in the apocalypse? We, we get to explore that in Savage Age. So that's one of the one of the aspects to, to storytelling that, that's kind of fun to explore. We're all coming at this from, a, from an apocalypse background. Why are the Shadow Lords like the way they are? You know, why is there a particular relationship with these types of spirits with one of the tribes? Why are the Mokale like they are? And so that's what we're doing is trying to get to the, the why. And so there's a lot of stories to be told there. And I think a lot of really interesting stories. Well, I think that is the, like the sky is absolutely the limit there. You know, it's um, something I something I was saying before we were you know we we uh, started rolling. So sorry you're here again. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, is you know it's it's part of why I love this this uh, setting that you know you you're before you know that you're before the weight of the war rage. So you can you can mix all the Pharaoh and and not have that problem of the aftermath of it. You you have. You, you are, you're skirting that meta plot. You, you don't have to worry about it. It hasn't happened yet. You have that freedom. And because of the oral tradition of, of the, the Gar Society of the Fair in general, there's nothing to say that this didn't all happen. The sky is actually the limit. You can do anything you want to. And there's no reason to go, well, that's not canon. Because no, no, it could be. You don't know. You've been playing telephone for, you know, 5,000, 10,000 years. What, what do you know? You know? Exactly, right? It's like making the prequel that was better than the original movie. Godfather 2. <laughs> this is Godfather 2. <laughs> <laughs> you think Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1? You think it's not? Gentlemen, can I get a ruling? No, I don't think it is not. I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> I'm just asking for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Stone Age, not to the modern time. Sorry. <laughs> hey, forget about it. Yeah. Oh. All right, so... <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we are. We're not at all done talking about the Savage Age. No. But we, we do want to, this episode, give sort of a, a primer for players who might be intimidated or who might not know where to begin, uh, you know. And I guess it starts with the start with the character selection. And like I was going to ask you covered that, you know, the, the different, they all have different purposes. So what, what, what do you do if, you know, you have, everyone wants to play something that, that conflicts? What's, what's the best advice, you know, for a storyteller when they're sitting around a table and everyone has a completely different job to do? So the, the, the mandates that we've established, they're, they're pretty open for interpretation. So the biggest hurdle that the storyteller is going to have to get over when it comes to those conflicting mandates is to find enough of the gray area that the the pack as a whole can operate in. So if you have, like the, the Nagalu, they're, they're really anti uh, the wild becoming ascendant over the other two members of the triad. And then you also have the Grander, which are, you know, they're, they're worm killers. So... You could look at it where, you know, the, the pack is going to be attacking nothing but the wild or the worm, but then you have the other changing breed that's going to be left out. So you need to find that median. You know, there's creatures out there that are that toe the line between the wild and the worm. Or the, yeah, and the worm. 
So that, that's what I would start doing, is looking at the gray areas of the mandates and seeing where they overlap, and then just find a happy medium. Because no one likes to tell a player, no, you can't do this because it doesn't work for my story. Right. So that's that's the onus for the storyteller is to, to find a way to make it work. And that's why they're so open and varied. And they're also a little vague. I mean, you have you know, the Rokea is just survive, you know, and you have the Moklay is just remember. I mean, they're, they're pretty wide open. You have any other examples as for some of those mandates? Maybe the ones that we haven't heard before, some of the, some of the off-the-wall ones? So we try not to develop off-the-wall ones. Each of the mandates is designed to kind of reinforce a specific type of play for that Pharah or that character type. And to be completely open, right, the, the mandates are actually a lot from Werewolf the Forsaken. Uh, the Werewolf the Forsaken had similar kind of concepts for the tribes based around kind of spiritual missions. I loved that idea, and we have put it now into, into Savage Age specifically as Gaian mandates. And we play around with them a little bit here and there, but, but the goal is, you know, like, the, the, the Bastets are outright said in the mandates, you know, you are the keepers of secret. So when the Bastet were born or created by Gaia, she made it very explicit in our version of Werewolf that this is their job. And then we go, you know, down the line. We've been exploring a little bit more with our own Pharah, by quote-unquote our own, but like the Opus, the Opus, which are, which are where, where bulls and or minotaurs in a lot of ways. Their gay and mandate, you know, it was kind of defined in uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse as like breeding. You were supposed to breed different. Uh, it was really, really murky. Um, so we took that in a different route, and we took this kind of like breeding all, along more the lines of like social manipulation. And so Gaia looks at the Apis and says, your job is to prepare my form, my people for the future. And so we've gone through these, each one of these Pharah and given them a mission. And then these missions have some implications back in Apocalypse. I like that. No, it's, it's good stuff. And I mean, it's definitely better than, um, you know, I think we, I think we said this last time too, is, is it's better than the, the matchmaker kind of. <laughs> image that was provided in um in apocalypse I mean, you two'd go good together i don't yeah, want to play that character no it wasn't good right like <laughs> who wants to play that and so but there's a kernel of a really interesting idea in there and that's what we've explored right matchmaker as kind of like a matchmaker is somebody who is taking a vision of what that culture is supposed to look like generations down the line and that's the route we went with the app so there's still the matchmaker element there. We, we specifically try not to make anything that's in canon werewolf no longer applicable. What we often will do, you know, Grant, myself, and the other, the, the other parts of the dev team is take the, the stupid parts and make them cool. And that's a lot of fun. Like that, us excited. And you've definitely done a good job yeah. with that. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I agree with that because. There's some really dumb parts. Yeah, I mean, well, like we we haven't talked about the, uh, the 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 lost breeds on the podcast yet, but you know I, I often refer to them as were burgers, and that's um you know it's much different than you know than the image you're providing here. Like those aren't were burgers; those guys are awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that that was always a a sore spot for me. You have the were boars, and then you have so many cultures throughout the world that have a mythology based on were boars, and then. The way Werewolf the Apocalypse treated them was a little sad to me. So having this opportunity to make them cool again and to change things, and them just being basically cleaners of the earth to, you know, how are they cleaning, why are they cleaning things, and how are they interacting with the other changing breeds to actually accomplish what they're meant out to do. 
No, I actually love your your guys' take on them. Yeah, I was um, going to say it's a good idea. You no, know, it's awesome. But, you know, I always loved them in the first place. You know, Skull Pigs are my favorite enemy in, in Apocalypse. <laughs> I hate your and so to Skull Pigs. <laughs> so to have that connection <laughs> was already cool. You know, like, oh, the ground are okay, it's... Not the best premise, but I can see how, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. You know, the skull pigs, and then you guys write your version. It's like, yeah, all right. You know, I loved yeah, how they gotcha. <laughs> yeah. How the ground or just don't give a shit. And I was you know, they're just they're just up in your face and this is how it's gonna be. And I like how it was written that they're they're just a little they're a little too efficient it, it taking down the worm. Yeah. So <laughs> that the worm was like, The grounds are interesting too. One of you know, like I'll say we go about each one of our Farah, each each approach to the Farah in a way that we, we sit down and we think, okay, how do we make it so that somebody wants to play this? We're really, really driven to make each concept exciting and interesting, and it's going to appeal to somebody else. So, like, when we get to the Grandeur, I wanted to mention, you know, their gay and mandate is cleaning, right? Like, they're, at in the Savage Age, they're the ultimate, like, worm fighters. Yep. And really interesting, because now in the Apocalypse, you know, if you look at it, the Guru have stolen that mandate. Once the Grandeur are eliminated, somebody had to take over that mandate. Gaia needs somebody to serve as, quote-unquote, the cleaner, right? And so that falls to the Guru, partly because they have the numbers, partly because they have the, the physical resources to do it. But we end up in this situation now, in Apocalypse, where the Guru, at least from our perspective, the Guru are these imperfect tools for clearing out the worm. The Grandeur were designed for this. This was their job. This was the exact mission that Gaia gave them. And now, in Apocalypse, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe the fact that the Grandeur are no longer around to clean out the worm taint, and the Guru are having to do it, and they're they're 80% good at it, but every year goes by, that 20% gap matters. And so that's that's one of the things, if you guys... If we get into Savage Age, if, if people that are listening are willing to give us a shot, you're going to read our stuff, and you're going to find these these interesting little aspects of the setting that we've seeded in there. This is one of those whys I was talking about earlier. Why are the Guru losing the war against the worm? Why is the apocalypse looming? Because this is one of the reasons that the Guru are imperfect instruments for what Gaia desperately needs in the modern setting. I fucking love that. <laughs> That's such an awesome idea for a story. I told you. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, sorry. You know, and, and I agree. It's great. It's interesting to look at that that way, too, because when, when you look at what you guys are creating in Savage Age, and I know, I mean, there's what's out there, and, you know, because I've talked to both of you guys, I know there's other stuff in the pipeline that I don't, that's, that's not, it's not up to me to talk about. But, um, there's, there's so many different mandates, and there's so many different, you know, different, fair, different positions that you see how, how they have merged and they have died out and how things have changed, how suddenly, yeah, just like you said, it's they're, they're not all there to do their jobs anymore. And so those have to be shouldered by what's left. And I mean, it's a, it's a really great point. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I sit here and while you're talking about that, I'm thinking, well, I think about the, the, the Ampu who are the, the proto silent striders, correct? Yeah. The Anupu. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. The proto silent striders. And in their, their job was, is um they're, they're like guardians of the dead. Okay. Um, I'm Cliff's notes here. Listen, no, I'm following you. <laughs> I'm also making sure these guys can, can just punch me down if I'm getting something wrong because they are the experts. <laughs> You're okay. So yeah, the Anupu were, um, and they're they're in Volume One in Accounting for the Dead. That's that's our first exploration of any of the Guru tribes before there was Guru. We talked a little bit about that in the previous episode. 
Yep. But the Anupu were mandated by Gaia to basically tend the spirit world. And as things evolve, that's one of the other things that we try to do in the Anupu is, is a good example of this. Things don't stay static. So the Anupu had this mandate. And over the years, again, as other Farah come and go, as mandates come and fade away, their mandate, their, their interpretation of their mandate changes. And so the Anupu start taking on more and more of this, like, cultivating the dead aspect, where they had a much more grandiose original mandate in terms of kind of tending the spirits and tending the spirit worlds and making sure that part of Gaia's ecosystem stayed healthy. As the War of Rage goes on, the Anupu find themselves being kind of pigeonholed into a different interpretation or execution of their mandate. And that's one of the things also we explore with some of the, the other pharaoh. They're given a mandate in some cases and then just don't follow it or don't do a very good job of it. The most current book that we have out right now is Tribe Book Welewa. And yes, it's pronounced Welewa. And that's where Cave Lion. We've built them to be like the ultimate guru killers. They are the ones that were winning the War of Rage until the various canid, the various like dog, pharaoh, banded together to create uh, the Guru Nation and were finally able to get a drop on the Welewa. Up until then, it looked like the Welewa were, were going to win. The Welewa, however, if you astute readers are getting into that, basically have ignored their particular Gaian mandate. And while it made them powerful for a period of time, we wanted to show that there are imperfect approaches to gain mandates, as well as to empower players and storytellers that if you want to play a grander and you don't want to clear out worm taint, you just want to, to be a badass werebore, or you're really into maybe one of the other mandates, totally fine. You're playing individual characters. If you've got a cool concept and it goes against the mandate, 100% cool. If your storyteller is good with it, we're good with it. And frankly, I think everybody on the dev team would love to hear these stories when you guys break our concepts and you come up with something better. I know we certainly would. Yeah, absolutely. So if <laughs> any of our Discord members are running those... Get it together, yeah, guys. send those in because I, I've said it, I don't know how many different occasions. Oh, we love hearing about... Yeah, we love the creativity that people come up with. So yeah, send it to us, send it to Weaponized Inc. They want to hear it too. Damn right. Now, now to jump back to with the, with the strategy of the, the autopoop, Something I was considering there is, you know, had things gone differently, right? And and they hadn't the, the many hadn't changed if they had been able to stick around in that capacity. Maybe there's no wraith, it, or or you look at the tragedy of the fact that they become the striders who lose connection to their ancestors and to the homeland. Oh, I just saw where you went with it. You, you know, son of a bitch. <laughs> Like, damn. Wow. Yeah. yeah that, like, that would that make... sounds like the beginning of a really good character idea to me. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, it's just, I, I just couldn't help but think about a way, you know, what was going on. It's like, yeah, that's, damn, that, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 how that ends up that way mm -hmm. and it, it, it's you know there's that irony to that i think that's fantastic you know and i love the idea that you know like you were saying like you were saying that you can just ignore the mandate if, if that's what you so choose because you know you're in a position in that time frame where you can get away with doing that you know if, if you go to an apocalypse game right and you have a get a veteran who says you know i want to be a dancer i just i don't want to this is stupid i'm gonna dance that guy's not gonna have a, a fun time and he's not gonna have a long future you know, <laughs> at the very basic, there's going to be someone talking reason to go, look, there's like 30 Garu left on the planet, man. You can't. <laughs> we have to be all in on this. <laughs> you can't cut and style yeah. hair. You have to fight. Exactly. There's. <laughs> we can't call three other people in. You know, there's there's only there's only so many of us. You have to do it. But, you know, back then you, you had that freedom. And I mean, I'm sure 
that would, would everything you guys are working on in terms of, of story seeds and or meta plot that might be, or even like a light version of it, you know, suggestions even. I'm, I'm sure there's an apocalypse as they see it right around the corner because you know you look at so that you look through history. You know, there's always the end. The world has always been ending. Yes, the end so that's has actually something. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You say that now. Go. go, go. I I was going to say you you say that now. I'm actually exploring that. I'm, I'm writing another tribe book. It's called Tribe Book Core, uh, K O R, and and it's kind of exploring maybe what the first Farah really looked like. So far, you know, way, 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 even before the Mokale. And part of the thing that I'm exploring is like, there have been these extinction events that have destroyed, you know, like upwards of 86 to 90% of life on Earth. And these guys lived through it. And what would what kind of implication is that when they have seen their own apocalypse and lived through it, and now they may be coming back, There's they're not going to be... They're, they're meant to be kind of marginal, more NPC characters, player characters. There'll be options for it. But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There have been apocalypses in the past. And this sense in apocalypse and werewolf the apocalypse that everything is so dire. And, you know, like everything's falling down around them. Well, maybe not. And how heretical is that? And then it gets into some really interesting discussions, in my opinion, too. Uh, definitely, because I mean, you know, the idea of having those 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 NPCs around that go, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, it's going to end, you know, it's panic, and, and to have them just go, no wait, or maybe even try to facilitate it because they know it's not actually the end because <laughs> they've seen the end already. Yeah, it already happened. Yeah. We were fine. You, you think this is bad? You you should have been here back here back when. Right. You know, I, I think there's there's so much potential for that. I think that's a great idea. So <laughs> we're definitely was... building up books that's going to uh, that's going to be out soon. To, to kind of hit those marks that you were saying, you know, give reasons why you can go against the mandate. I know the one I'm writing for uh, Weaponized Inc. right now, they're actually going to be real pro-worm, uh, destroyer worm, not corruptor worm. And they're going to, the, the whole point is, although their gay mandate says one thing, what they're actually going to be doing is, is really propagating the, uh, the worm of destruction. And obviously there's going to be repercussions from that. But they're going to have a close relationship with the with the grinder. Even though the grinder go and they hunt all the worm, they make a distinction about what's the right worm. You know, so they can take those concepts and they can flip it on their head, and they, they can play in a completely reversed way than they would normally do. That's impressive. Yes, yeah, I think that's excellent. that's impressive. I, I think that's excellent. I mean, I've I've long been a supporter. I don't know how much we've talked about it on the podcast, but I've long been a supporter at the idea that. The Garu and Apocalypse are, in truth, more servants of the Worm of Balance at this point than they are anything yes. else. Yeah, you would have, I have had the conversation on several occasions. But yeah, you know, because I mean, you know, they're defending the wild, but they're defending the wild because it's the weakest. Right. They're about restoring a balance here. <laughs> that's that's why I'm saying. So this is yeah, this is pretty great stuff for Grant's idea here. That's oh man, I'm I'm excited for that one. That's gonna be cool because hey, I think there's such a hey Grant, a much tell, better deal. tell us more. Tell us more about the Aja and Appa since you were you're going into that. Give it, give us some more of your vision of that because I'd like to hear it too. <laughs> oh, hey, so, hey. exclusive. Look at yes, that. yeah, I, I play it pretty close to the chest until I start hitting moments where I need some clarification. And you know, Chris, he allows his, his writers to kind of do that to take a step back and let us really explore things, and then just kind of uh, reel us back in when we go too far. So before the Ajaba, you know, the way we were seeing it is that they were split into two different breeds or two different tribes. You'd have the cave hyena. Um, which were around during the, the Pleistocene and they died out. And then you had the, the standard hyena. For the cave hyena, they're the Aja and the hyena are the Aba. You know, obviously over time, they kind of merged and became the Ajaba. So the original mandate from Gaia was to basically take care 
of Gaia and, you know, make sure that corruption and decay are kept in the greater balance. So that they're kept under control, but not to destroy them. So as well as, you know, calling out the weak, that's, that's part of the, the understanding of their, their mandate and, you know, changing the environment to meet those purposes. So the, the stance that I've taken with the Aja is that they're very pro-worm and they, they facilitate as much of the destroyer worm as possible while also working with the grinder to wipe out the, the corrupter aspect of the worm to try to uh, prevent that from getting out of place. Certainly. You don't want the, the tainted meat, so to speak. Yeah, it's like Gaia's checks and balances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, everything here, it's gold. Yes. You know, and you, you've got the art is phenomenal, which is Ooh. something that I want to point out to those of you who have not checked it out or have not contacted Chris to get your free book from the last interview. Don't know what your problem is there. <laughs> <laughs> so another big aspect of Aja, you know, is is really dealing with the acceptance of death and mortality when it comes to, you know, it's, it's a vital aspect of life. So I'm looking at it from that perspective. And so they're also going to have a big influence on that. And I think that's going to tie in really well with uh, the, the fabric core that, that Chris is working on, you know, because they show that, hey, we believe that the apocalypse is really the apocalypse. Death is a part of life. So that in those circumstances, they're also going to be on board with whatever the core is going to be trying to accomplish if and when they happen to arise in the Savage Age. And Aja, Aja Abba, so we'll just call him Ajaba or are, is is another one where we're going where I, it started basically with Grant asking a couple of why questions. Why do the the Java have kind of different mandates in Core Apocalypse? Yeah. Let's start sussing that out. Let's try to do a better job of understanding where that came from, and and that leads us into different directions and some fairly interesting ones. And then it also allows us to be like, okay, well, where were the cave hyenas? What is their relationship to regular hyenas? How do we how do we play around with this to again get to a point where when somebody picks up one of our books, they're going to read and be like, okay, I got to play one of these guys, and then hopefully they're going to read another one of our books and be like, oh no no no, actually I meant to play one of these guys, and we're going to go through and, and keep trying to throw as many cool ideas as possible until uh, players have cool idea overload, and that is I think our ultimate goal. Well, you're well on your way, I'll tell you that much. Now, now a question I have for you here is, you know, you guys have, I want to say, gone above and beyond to try to capture a, a level of accuracy in, in the era in, in terms of, you know, uh, life at the time. I mean, you, you, you've re- really gone, you know, technically dug deep to find, you know, like you talk about the, the cave hyenas and, and all, all the animals of the era. You know, we have a couple actual archaeologists in our Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give them some more. No, we're not naming anybody today. Yeah, good. It's not about them. Um, who... You know, I, I, I really appreciate it. You know, I've talked that they really appreciate that about this. But what, what about the person who has no head for this at all? I mean, I made my Flintstones joke earlier. Um, what, what would you say to those who might be intimidated by all that very technical, accurate stuff? Who might feel that they don't know anything about shot. it? That, that is what I would ask, is give us a shot. Because we have put into, like I mentioned earlier, we've got essays and we've got, you know, we've got the rules. We've built, let me, let me hold on, let me take this step back. We have built these rules and this setting so anybody familiar with Werewolf the Apocalypse should be able to slip into Savage Age with only a little bit of mentality. If you know how to build a character in Werewolf the Apocalypse, you've got more than 80% of your understanding in how to build a Savage Age. If you understand the Pharah in Apocalypse, 
you basically understand the Farah and Savage. So don't be intimidated by that stuff. We put these essays, if somebody's interested in, in picking up Savage Age, please go to Storyteller's Vault. Look at Volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume 1 is called Counting for the Dead. Volume 2 is Rise of the Gru. Both of them we have put in essays and rules in there and very explicit discussions about what has changed. In At the end of Volume 2, Rise of the Gru, we've got a couple pages talking about the changes to the skills and abilities and knowledge. So there's no question. So you can see right up front what has changed from your normal understanding of what Apocalypse is supposed to be into Savage Age. We've got rules for different types of animals. We've got discussions about what the community looked like back then. We've also got Broken Brother, which is a really, really good introduction in, into the Savage Age. It has been specifically designed and playtested so that can jump into it. It's super cheap. It comes up with some coupons in the back so that you can continue to explore if you like what you see. The art is great in Broken Brother, but we've, we've got an entire pack in there. We've got pre-generated characters. We've got some really, really cool antagonists. Brandon Stewart, who is the, the author for Broken Brother, really, really dove into it. And so in Broken Brother, for a really low price, it gives you everything you need to play. And we are very serious about that. Like I said, you've got your characters, and you've got an entire community. We've got we seeded it with a bunch of NPCs so that you can continue to explore even after you've played the adventure. So... It's fair to be a little bit intimidated because it is an alien type of setting, but we have those resources in our books. Give us a shot, and I guarantee you will be more comfortable with running Savage Age than potentially running Werewolf the Apocalypse in a country that you are not familiar with, like a modern country you are not familiar with. We're going to make it easier for you to play in Savage Age than a situation like that. That is a, that is a bold statement, but, you know... Um, <laughs> um, I I actually agree, and, and here's the reasoning why. Because a modern warrior, the, werewolf the apocalypse storyteller, they're already familiar with concepts that are going to be directly applicable to Savage Age. Um, they're already going to be familiar with the near umber realms of like the legendary realm, uh, Pangea, the summer country, wolf home. You know, all of those you can actually lift the setting information and transplant it directly into Savage Age as how the world was back then. You know, a little bit of uh, creative license, you know, you have to take that into account. But, you know, you see all these things that we've added for additional details that are, are factually correct or as correct as we could be with what information that we have. But if you're having issues getting the setting stood up, for whatever reason, just look at those near Umber realms from the modern age and they directly translate into the Savage Age. Excellent advice. Yeah, that's wow. I didn't well, think about it that way. No, it's a really good idea. Well, and it, it, it's a thing I've heard. You know, I've, I've heard from you know some people on the Discord here and there. You know that you know it it could be intimidating, and so yes. absolutely something we wanted to address on the show because again, we believe in this. We want to see we want to see the best for Savage Age. Right. No, we we our games are set in nineties because that's what we know the most. So yeah, I'm sure it could very easily be intimidating to go back to the Stone Age where I clearly was not. <laughs> So, for you to be able to tell me, yeah, just look at some of those realms, Pangea, that's a big one. Now, are you guys planning an, an Umbral supplement? Because you bring up some of those realms, and I can't help but think, like, what was... Did, did the Scar exist? Was there a version of the Scar? Was there... You know, I mean, obviously, it's not Dickensian London in the Umbra back in the Stone Age. <laughs> You know, but um, so do you, do you have uh, any plans to, to show some changes in the Umbra or some of the near realms? Yes. Very, very much so. And in fact, that's 
that's one of the aspects to our setting right now that is lacking. We've got some discussion of what the Umbra looks like, but we want to do a real deep dive to it. We want to show what a world in Savage Age where the Umbra and the Gauntlet are relatively close to the physical and mundane world. It is a lot easier for Farrah to, to step sideways. We also are very explicit that humans, both Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, have many of them have gnosis. And many of them have gifts or rights because the spirit world is so close, because it touches the mundane world so often that shamans in uh, in Savage Age are a real thing. Um, I was so ask. There, we do want to, yeah, we we do want to explore like the the different humble realms and what it looks like. This will dovetail. Uh, it'll probably end up being volume four, and then that will also dovetail. We have a tribe book, Urkama. Urkama is is coming up, and that's basically the Kamatsots, the werebats. Uh, their gain mandate is protecting Gaia from the non corporeal entities that exist in the deep Umbra. And that was their original, and it has been corrupted and changed as we enter into the modern era. But we want those two things to kind of be side by side so people can explore some of the really crazy, dark, nasty stuff that also exists in the umbra of the Savage Age. One other thing, we, I, you know, Grant was talking a little bit about this. The wild is the problem in the Savage Age. And, and so when we often equate a lot of the wild spirits and, and just spirits in general... In the Umbra, you know, in, in, in Apocalypse, in Savage Age, it's a different situation. The spirits are a lot more vibrant, they're a lot more powerful, and in a lot of ways they're a lot more dangerous. So that's something else we're, we're going to, uh, to help uh, show players and storytellers and give examples of so that everybody can kind of explore that going on. You know, and I, I love that idea of the wild is, is, the, is the problem there. And I know, uh, I don't know, a few days ago, a week ago, whatever, I shared that story scene I had back in the day with you guys. I don't know if that was helpful or not. Fingers crossed on that. But um, I want to take a step back to what you were saying about the uh, the, the Prokamatos. Uh, what, what, what was her name again? Urkama. U-R-K-A-M-A. Urkama. Okay. Okay. So they're dealing with the non-corporeal threats and, and they, are they, they're still bat shifters. That's correct. So, so we've shifted is... them a little bit away. We, we've taken them a little bit away from like this kind of daytime, nighttime messenger thing that they balanced with the Korax and gave them their own, their own actual man. But so, like, um, so you, you, you took Batman and made him a Ghostbuster, is what I just heard. <laughs> um, if, if the Ghostbusters are fighting Cthulhu, then, uh, then yeah. That is my favorite thing. Thank you. <laughs> You're gonna play one of the. You're gonna play an Urkama now, aren't you? Bat- Batman is now a Ghostbuster. That is the coolest <laughs> thing of all time. <laughs> I hate you. God damn it! I hate you. <laughs> no, that is fantastic. That, that's a really cool idea. It, it is. It's a really cool idea. <laughs> I, just, I, I had to. I had to make sure I was hearing, hearing that right because that's. I'm making jokes. That's really exciting to me. <laughs> I like what he was saying, though, because right now in Savage Age, you know, the wild is what's what, what is running rampant. Yeah. Whereas now, currently in Apocalypse, Garu are fighting for the wild because wild is the weakest. Well, and like, what if what if in the Savage Age we went, we win too hard? Exactly my point. Yeah. Maybe they just went. Yeah, exactly. They won too hard. They they just went a little overzealous on what they were trying to do. Well, I'm definitely fascinated about the potentiality of the Umbra. The different things that could happen. I mean, you know, what if the legendary realm, you, you look at that today and it's all sword and sorcery. It's like if you want to do a D&D campaign in werewolf, that's what you do. You go to the legendary realm. 
Okay. No, no seriously. Now I know. Yeah. But, like, what if that's some weird portent of a modern-day setting today, or in the Savage Age? Yeah, that's a cool idea. Keep going I, with that idea. Yeah, no, I just, I'm sorry. I just, Danny, <laughs> Danny just broke. We just lost. He just, I just broke him. But the, <laughs> I don't know what to say. That idea is it would be some weird, fan, to, to the Savage Age play, you know, Eric, it would be this weird, fantastical, nightmare scenario future, and it's really just a simulacrum of a current-day world of darkness. You know, maybe more trumped up, much like the legendary realm is. Mm-hmm. You know, a more fantastical fantasy version of it. But you know, I, the, I think that uh, the, the the ingenuity of a storyteller that's really looking into things and trying to flip the script during the Savage Age and how it would apply to uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse and how it's going to be end up is is definitely going to have a lot of enjoyment in the Savage Age because we're going to be able to facilitate that as much as possible. I know we have a couple other things coming up that start breaking down the actual. Uh, homids, the hominids throughout the world, uh, and, and how they were looking at Gaia and uh, the spirit world as well. And, you know, what if the Cro Magnons were not the ones that actually succeeded and wiped out the other uh, hominids or, or outbred them or however they end up being ascendant? Maybe the Neanderthals did. Maybe the Denisovans did. You know, and what would that mean if they were the dominant hominid on Earth? That's definitely shit to think about. <laughs> No, it is. It's it's rife with potential, and it's, again, part of the beauty of that setting is, even with what we know today, you know, in, in terms of, of, of how things went, you could be wrong. Sure. You know, maybe uh, they, they pissed off the wrong shifter, and it wasn't that they were outbred, it's that they were punished. You know, you, you have yeah. that flexibility, and I think that that's, that's fantastic. You know, I One mean, of the other things that we explore with, like, and Grant's getting to a little bit, is... This idea that there's not just homits in Savage Age. There are, Grant's working on our third version, right? So right now we've got Homo sapiens and we've got uh, Neanderthals. So we, we were looking at, you know, the, the general way to build a character. And, you know, there's three breeds that everybody is, is familiar with. But, you know, like the beast breed, because of the Pharah, there's actually like 15 to 20 different options in terms of what the beast side looked like. We wanted to create at least a little bit of a balance so that it isn't just stock homid in Savage Age. You've got some choices, and there are mechanical implications to which you decide. Neanderthal versus Homo sapiens versus, and soon to be, Denisovians. So there's there's actually some variation, too, on the homid side, which can allow you to explore new types of characters, new types of concept, and uh, to explore you know, what makes a human a human. In an age where the term human encompasses multiple types, types of people. Thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> raccoons have thumbs. Well, well then raccoons are human. Just saying. Well, and, and we will not be doing where raccoons. I'll tell you right now. Thank you. Trash panda. <laughs> Trash panda. You know, no, no, if we ever did wear raccoons, I probably would do it as like an April Fool's deal. And they're trino <laughs> swarm because, because we do have thumbs. Their crinos form would just be like an entire creature where where all it is is thumbs. <laughs> I, I was going to suggest like um like the hamburglar. <laughs> you know that old time or like that old timey robber where they got the the striped shirt and the the little the mask. I, I know what you mean, Porter. I I honestly don't know whose idea is worse. We are definitely racing to the bottom right. You I know, know whose is worse. <laughs> I won't say it out loud. <laughs> But by worse, it's kind of better at that point. <laughs> exactly. Still not telling you who's who's. That's all right. 
Just food for thought there, guys. Food. What happened if Rocket Raccoon has a kid with a hamburger? Where Raccoon? <laughs> oh, rabble, rabble. <laughs> right, so what we we've now talked here for a little while, Porter. You've come up with a couple different concepts, or at least ideas for central characters. What do you think, Danny? Has any of this resonated with you? Oh, absolutely. I I have no idea what I would make for a character. I, there's I haven't seen all the options. I, there are very few that I've seen personally. I definitely want to look through them. Is there any others? So I mean, obviously you got a few no, coming up down the line. Turn it but... around, Danny. All right, so I'll give you a list of of, of the stuff off, that's off the top of my head. Right. Okay. So volume one, we've got got the Grander, so werebores. We've got the Apis, where Minotaurs things. We've got the Anupu Bael, which the Anupu, which are Proto Silent Striders. Mm-hmm. We've got a little bit on the Kara, which are Were Smilodons. Then we've got Neanderthals in there. In Volume Two, it's 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 all about the formation of the Guru Nation. Now, and, now, and now so let me what we did is let we me stop select- you there for a second because I saw some smoke come out of Danny's ears. <laughs> okay, what's a Smilodon? So let me just go through the list. Let me go through the list, and then what we're going to do is is bring it back to you, Danny. Okay, and let's talk a little bit about what kind of character concept. Not even a, that I'm mentioning here. But what kind of character you want to play, and then Grant and I are going to walk you through what we think might work, and we'll, we'll riff off this. Perfect. But in, I love in, this idea. In, yeah. So in, in Rise of the Guru, we collapse a lot of the a lot of the tribes. So the Silver Fangs, the Shadow Lords, and to a lesser extent the Get are actually all a single tribe, or in this case, they're their own Pharah. The the Fianna, the White Howlers, and the others like from Western Europe, to, and again a little bit of the Get mm-hmm. uh, collapse their own tribe so when we talk about some of these tribes be warned we're going to be talking about meta tribes you know um, foundational tribes that eventually break apart and form the tribes that we know in apocalypse okay so taking that up all right so porter's already got some stuff floating around in his head what do you want to play we've talked about savage age now like conceptually not even talking about what type of where shifter you want to be you want to play a warrior? Do you want to be? Do you want to be a shaman? Like, what do you think would be interesting to explore in Savage? I'd go for the warrior type. I'm a little bit of, you know, if I'm playing like a fighting game or something, and I'm definitely a brawler. Okay, all right, that's that's easy enough. And Savage Age really does well with with the warrior types. Okay, so now let's take that. Now we've got it, both Grant and I are thinking right now which are the uh, which are the Pharah that that do best as warriors, or potentially ones that might be interesting as. So what kind of warrior do you want to play? Do you want to play somebody that hulks out? Some kind of crazy beast lord? Would you like to play maybe, you know, some kind of conceptual proto-ninja? What, you know, sneaky warrior type? What what on that end appeals to you? I think if I'm going for a brawler, he'd be up in your face. No, strate- no strategy at all. Just that's a strategy. Up in your face. Just a blunt instrument? A blunt instrument just in the way. Okay. So now my question for you is, do you want to play something akin to the Guru? Or would you like to explore something a bit farther afield? I mean, don't get me wrong. Love the Guru. I love Apocalypse. This is this is this is my game. But let's uh let's branch out a little bit. Let's go let's go the other way. Alright, fair enough. Grant, what are you thinking? Um, so off the top in that context, I would think Grander. Grander would be perfect for that type of chronicle. If you wanted to add a layer of, of intrigue to it and not only be the in your face, but also have the option to do something a little bit more, uh, skullduggery, I would go with, uh, the car, the, the wear Smilodon, Sabretooth Tiger. And I think that'll give you a lot of, uh, flexibility in what you wanted to do. I wrote down Grandor already. <laughs> I wrote it down like five minutes ago. 
and then you guys started playing this game, and I wanted to see how close I was to you. So, <laughs> so there, there you go, right there, and that's for the listeners as well. We we've got our character concept. We've got the beginnings of our character concept. That's all it took. That's right. I love is that. just like you're doing in Werewolf: The Apocalypse. Get a meta idea, explore it a little bit, and then apply it to uh, a Fera template, and you're good to go. So we've got our grinder. We've got you know a blunt instrument grinder. So let's talk a little bit about what you want to do with him. It's the War of Rage, mm-hmm. and the the grinder are at war with one of the factions of the Guru. Uh, in fact, the grinder and their conflict with the, the Kucha, which are basically like the the proto Red Talons is what starts the War of Ray. That doesn't necessarily mean that you hate the, the Guru or anything along those lines, but what do you think? Like, what's your gut? Pro-Guru, anti-Guru, are you interested in exploring the War of Rage? Would you like to do something else? Do you want to go, want to fight the, the Corruptor Worm? What What do you want to do? What does this character do? I think he's more of fight the Corruptor Worm. I, I like the idea of going back for the uh, the Worm of Balance, you know, the, the Worm of Destruction, bringing back that balance of the Triad, and then fighting off the Corruptor Worm. I like that idea. That's great. And so I look over at Porter virtually, and I say, Porter, does your character concept that you're floating around right now, would we be able to, to do something where you're able to come up with a concept that fights Corruptor Worm or advocates for the destroyer worm is there something in there that you can play with uh you know what there is while while he's while, while you guys have been doing this i mean obviously i'm paying attention but i'm also you know got the gears working so i you know what if i go an apu who there's something there's he, he's noticed that there's something wrong in term with with the dead with the spirits and he's trying to figure out what it is but he can't quite put his finger on it you know it's like he he knows there's something wrong he's seeing things that are a bit iffy that that's not quite right and he's under the opinion that, that this is a problem that has started from the Corruptor Worm. A, maybe a glitch in the system, if you will. Yeah. That's a perfect okay. opportunity for us to be in a pack now. Oh, well, exactly. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, so, and that's what's nice about Savage Age, right? Is we now have a reason for a Grander, a Werebore, and an Anupu, which is basically a Jackal be together in a pack. Um, I love there's that. a bigger problem out there for you guys to explore. It wouldn't be hard for us now to start bringing in other characters. The hook now is Destroyer versus Corruptor, Triad, big conceptual stuff. And I bet your listeners are already thinking, you know, like, they could easily build a character to add to these two. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage, if I was a storyteller at that moment, I would encourage another player to be either like the one of the Aja, the Aba, uh, or the Abyss, Apis, sorry, um, or one of the Urkama, or even if it's set towards the North American side of the house, one of the proto Noesha, you know, and just run with that. We don't have that in print yet, but it'd be easy just to retrograde that and just throw them in there. And those are the Acme, correct? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> we Bite your tongue. But, that, you know, when we, we are going to get to, we're, we're working on a player's guide that's going to take the, the canon Farah that are out there, and Case and Snow is, is currently working on it. He's freaking amazing, and and we're going to present all the canon Farah that everybody knows and loves, like the Nuisha and the Mokale and the Naga and that whole group, and we're going to savageize them or however you want to, but we're going to to put them into the Savage Age setting so people understand what to do and how to explore them as well. I'm actually um, really looking forward to that book. <laughs> Yeah, I know a lot of people are, and, a, and it's well underway. And I will say, Grant has been doing Yeoman's work. He's also been building the setting Bible for us to make sure that our various ideas are brought together and that when we conflict, there's a way for us to de-conflict and make sure every character concept, 
every Pharah type stands on its own. All right, so we've got our we've got we've got the beginning of our pack: Corruptor versus Destroyer Worm. Hijink. We've got Danny's going to be playing an in-your-face brawler. You've got this Anupu over there, Porter. What? How do they solve problems? Well, I, I would prefer, you know, for mine. I mean, I want a more intellectual approach, but also I would, uh, you know, for my character uh, in in terms of combat when necessary. In terms of what I was, uh, what I'd want to do, I'd want something um, more more lithe, more agile, uh, more precision based in terms of combat, but would largely solve problems more intellectually if possible. What are you trying to say? <laughs> you think you know what I'm trying to say, Danny? Do you guys would you be up for exploring this destroyer versus corruptor meta problem within the con within the constraints of the War of Rage? Or would you prefer to stand outside of the War of Rage? And what I'm asking basically is, are your antagonists going to be individuals that are involved in the War of Rage? Would you like to explore things more on the, you know, environmental, what does the Pleistocene look like? What does the Stone Age, what types of challenges could exist outside of the War of Rage? Why don't you take that first, Danny? Me? I, I say we go right up, right in the War of Rage. And maybe that's why this character is the way he is. Um, I'm... I think I'm good with something of a mixture. Um, I know, you know, if I'm playing this, I, I definitely want to see more of the era because I'm not, I'm right now not super comfortable with it. So the more experience I can get in there, the better I can do when I'm on the other side of the screen later on. Okay, yeah, that's a better point. So yeah, yeah, maybe a little mix of both then. Okay, and what I would do is, as the storyteller right now, is I would start, be, I'm, I'm, you know, scribbling notes saying what we start is with, with the environmental challenges. We start exploring the Stone Age without the War of Rage, probably without any of the other fair right now. The Destroyer versus Corruptor, you know, maybe there's there's some kind of conflict in the environment that is creating something that has been brought to your two characters' attention and will need to be solved. But then, after your characters have done this a couple times, my notes would stray into, all right, now we're going to bring in the War of Rage. Now we're going to potentially bring in the Were Cave Lions, the Wilewa. And maybe they're so desperate and they're losing the War of Rage that some of them have turned to the Destroyer Worm, Black Spiral Dancer Scythe, to try to uh, stave off their their destruction. And it'd be this like particular plan of the Welewa. So your explorations into the environment then leads to these Welewa who are dabbling in dark magics and the, destroy- and the Corruptor Worm. And you guys have to go in and potentially either uh, eliminate them or... Maybe more interesting is how to steer them towards the destroyer worm. Yeah, and at that point, there's there's you know the implication there of a cleansing, which could lead us into whatever the proto version of Erebus may have been. I mean, yeah. in the current day, that's a realm only open to Garu for some reason. But surely it had. Yeah, but what was it back exactly? Then? Surely there was something similar, which again is a fun new area to explore. I didn't, right. I didn't, I didn't mean to take that from you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to take sorry, that. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to talk over you guys. But I, this gets back into the why, right? Why is Erebus like that? Mm-hmm. Savage Age gives you that chance to explore the why and uh, to answer that um, uh, however you want. I'll bet, I'll bet it's because so, Danny peed in the pool. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Danny. Yeah. Do you want to create, do you want to create a character that is uh, from a beast side, a human side? Where, where are they going to come from? What culture? Let's go beast side. Okay. All right. So you, you'd you be coming from the boar side of things. Porter, mm-hmm. same deal, or do you want to go with one of the Omid options? Uh, you know what? Let, let's let's see what some of the Omid options are. I, I'd like to... Let's, let's go through that catalog. 
All right, so we've got two core options that I mentioned a little bit earlier, but you've got Homo sapiens, which are us, and Neanderthals, which are not the Neanderthals that we kind of assume. They're not these hulking brutes. We made sure to approach the Neanderthals. In many ways, they're more spiritual than Homo sapiens. Physically, they're they're smaller stature. They're better physically on some of the other things like running and throwing. They're not as good at throwing. They're they're better at running. They're better at higher climates. So if you kind of think about where your Anubu is coming from, that might give you an idea of if you want to choose Homo sapiens versus Neanderthals. Neanderthals are tougher. Homo sapiens are generally smart. Well, you know, I I would want to go you know, uh, smarter. But since, you know, we, we're, we're on a show here, we've got an audience, and <laughs> let, let's explore the Neanderthals because that's the road less traveled at this point. Okay, fair enough. And so what you would do is you would go to Accounting for the Dead, Volume 1, which has the rules for Neanderthals. And it gives you some new gifts. It gives you a couple new options, and there's some rules variation for picking Neanderthal that that aren't available um, if you pick Homo sapiens. So that would be the next stage. And, and basically, we've got the foundations of your characters. Now it's a question of picking your abilities, skills, and knowledges, and picking your gifts. And that's all basically the same. You know, well, I'm looking at your sheet, and it's, it was a lot easier than I expected it to be. And, and and I love that we did. I mean, this was exactly what I was hoping we'd be doing yeah. when we put this idea of the show together. Is is running it through like that? You know, it. it I think I hope yeah. that for our listeners, it's going to take a lot of that mystery or a lot of the the intimidation. Intimidation, it, yeah, you know, absolutely. Take the intimidation no, it's, out. It's, it's okay. Um, you know, and yep. like I'm looking at the sheet, and I'll tell you guys, you know, for, for those of you at home, you're going to be very familiar with this sheet. You're not going to look at it and go, what is this weirdness? You're going to feel right at home. There's There are some changes. Yes, there are. And, um, and, yeah, and so in Volume 2, Rise of the Guru, right at the, right at the back, uh, we have a, a detailed discussion of, of the changes to the character sheet. We collapse some of the skills. Some of them, obviously, are you know, knowledge, ability, skills. Some of them weren't appropriate to Savage Age. We wanted to introduce some new ones that made that would help drive play into specific areas. There's also a few less. There, the, the number of skills is not as much as you would find in Apocalypse, so you can go just as far. But it's you're base, you're building the same character. Those you just need to pay attention a little bit to uh, to which ones are knowledges and which ones are skills. We like Enigmas is no longer where you think you'll have to you have to pick it up somewhere. No, it's true. I mean, it's, it is it is largely a very familiar sheet. Yeah, there are some changes, and some I think are great. Like I like the the weaponry over melee or the ranged over obviously firearms, but we also replaces archery. But I mean, I do I do have a question. Looking at this sheet, um, there there is a talent now. Now, Socialized, I'm a, right? I, I am a gamer, <laughs> and I'm not really familiar with that. What, what does that mean? What is what is that? What is socialize? So the way uh, it's described in Volume One, it's the one that everybody gets hung up on. It, it's... Oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> He's... Oh Jesus! I mean, I was just, it was just a joke. <laughs> no, but but if you have something for it, no, that actually, we, we yeah, don't know. Go point. ahead and tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. De- no, actually, so Grant's going to get into this, but every one of those skills went through the ringer or skills, abilities, and knowledge, right? Like so. Each one of them is there because we thought about it and we decided to keep it or not. And socialize is a great example. I know you guys are laughing about it, but Grant, go into it. So, yeah, it's, it's a combination of uh, expression, empathy, and etiquette. So you have to think back in that, that time frame, everybody was so tribal. Humanity was so tribal that some things like etiquette and expression were kind of minimized. Like, yeah, no what one was considered, about that. You know, what was considered good etiquette for one tribe was completely alien to another that could have been like 15 miles down the road. So to, to keep it simple, um, we just combined them all into one 
uh, talent so that people that still want to flex on those social side of chronicles and those stories, they still have something that can they can lean on that can help them express what they need to express, as well as make it easy for the storyteller to say that you're following the, the proper etiquette for this tribe versus that tribe instead of trying to, to get overly caught up in the minutia and, and the random details that can conflict. You know, That's like, exactly it, right? Like we, we went through and we collapsed some of the skills specifically because we wanted the players to know when you were picking a skill, there's a good chance it's going to be used. Rather than picking one skill and then discovering that you actually needed empathy in this case, that stinks. That's not fun. So what we've tried to do is is collapse these skills so when you pick it, when you invest, when you color in that dot, you can have a high level of confidence as a player. It's going to be useful at some point. You know, yeah. we, we had that Absolutely. joke ready to go, and it was it was funny. But the fact that you brought that around and why you put that one in there makes so much sense. So thank you. Because <laughs> it just makes us look like jerks for having the joke, but... <laughs> But it's, it's such a good idea. I mean, you got to think, you know, back then, during Savage Age, some of those talents and skills, none of that mattered. Why would computers matter back then? Well, yeah, well, obviously. But. You know, technology, stuff like that, yeah. So collapsing them to make them have relevance to the time period is extremely smart. Also, taking that out of the account, think about how many games that you all have played or story told where you had a character that had no dots and an ability, and it had no impact whatsoever, or vice versa. You had three or five dots filled out for an ability, and it was never used in the story. Oh, sure. Oh, um, yeah. There have been many a times where, you know, like, I'm laughing at that guy's foreign computers. They haven't seen a city in three chronicles. <laughs> yep. Or, or the person who likes to fill their, their page out, I want to be the jack of all trades. That's that's not what the character is, and you, that's not how this goes. So for you guys, to, like, like, like I said, to collapse that down, to have abilities and talents like that that they know they're going to use, uh, well done. Now there's a question. Merits and flaws, is that on the horizon? So yeah, it is. I've got a philosophy on that that, that may not jive with everybody. I'm, I'm always a little bit worried about merits and flaws. I, I'm a big believer that a lot of that stuff should be role-played out rather than used to get extra XP. I, I'm, I'm generally a fan of the streamlined character creation approach that doesn't involve a whole lot of minutiae on the merits and flaws. That said, I know that in many ways I'm the minority on that. So we're planning on putting specific merits and flaws into the player's guide. And I could just gnash my teeth appropriately. <laughs> I mean, I get it if you want to do like a small amount of them. I don't blame you. So, you know, I, I actually have the, the opposing opinion um, when it comes to merit and flaws. I, I also don't think that they should be utilized to min-max the character and to get a whole bunch of extra freebie points or experience points. But I like to utilize them to force my players uh, or them to force me to react to their player in certain manners. So over the course of a chronicle, I'll actually have sometimes that they'll pick up merits and flaws from role-playing without the, the point bonus. Like, you done something stupid, you lost an eye. Now you're one, now, now you only have one eye. Um, and all those accompanying flaws, or benefits for that matter. You know, merits, say they, they made a deal with a spirit deep umbra, and you know now they have an edit memory or something. But there you go. It's a free merit that I will honor over the course of the story that they've role-played into. So it allows me to, to give the players a little bit more dynamic feel to them. 
I love that. No, I kind of love that you brought up because, you know, Grant, I absolutely agree with that approach. You know, I'm not a huge fan of merits and flaws for min-maxing purposes, you know, and I've certainly outlawed my fair share around Mm -hmm. my table. But at the same time, I'm also there with Chris on the role-playing aspect. I mean, I, um, I am reasonably sure... And Danny, you'll have to quote me. You'll have to correct me here. That I never even explained to you and Tom nature and demeanor. No. I didn't even, I didn't even talk about it when you guys were making I don't think characters. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I've written it down, but like, I it's but, not a part of our game. So it's right, it's not, it's not a game mechanic. It's be your character and role play. Right. And you, you get willpower. Don't worry about it. Right. You know, so I, I kind of love hearing both of those approaches. And like, I, I agree with both of them in different ways. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say, and you know, I, I don't love merits and flaws, but... They are tools, and and we know you know people like them, so it, it is incumbent on on me as kind of the overall developer, but then also on the writers and and the fans. Tell us what they want, and we will put it together. We take a lot of pride in having as much interaction with our fans as possible, good and bad. If if we're getting something wrong, you tell us, and um, if there is a way for me to fix it, we will. But you know, and merits and flaws is, is one of those. Tell us if you want them, or if you don't. If you do want them. What works for you? You know, we've got we've got also a pretty free hand. If we want to change how merits and flaws work, um, if we want to create a new system for it, we absolutely can. We've got that opportunity. I like that idea. No, I just I, I like the idea, but at the same time, I think you're absolutely right when you say it should at least be role played out. I mean, it is it's a role playing game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I yeah. I get to... I get caught up on like stuff like when players pick like you know, a nemesis, or they get points back for picking an enemy. From my perspective as a, as a storyteller, as a GM, that's just double dipping. One, you're <laughs> asking to have a cool enemy that you're going to be able to fight, where you're going to be the center of the story, and you're getting points back? I, I've never, like, that. that's always been the one that I focus on in, in, like, Merits and Flaws. That seems to me to be a merit in a lot of ways. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive, but that's where I think merits and flaws fall apart for me, is that a so, lot of, yeah, kind of get in the way of these core ideas. Go ahead, Grant. So the way I kind of counter those things is that whenever a player you know, wants to play, wants to get a merit or a flaw, if it's something like that, that would actually have an overall story development impact, like Nemesis, a prime example. You take Nemesis, sure, I'll give you the points for it. But the downside for that is I make them actually create their own nemesis, player sheet and all. It's like you're going to create a nemesis. Cool, I'll allow you to have this flaw. Now you have to build this entire character so that I can utilize it based on the stats, and then I'll flesh it out. You know, but have them a little bit more skin in the game versus just you know. And and maybe even put it on the player and be like, you know what? I don't own this nemesis. You have to bring them in. We'll work mm-hmm. on it and we'll talk about it at the table. But, uh, but it is your responsibility to figure out when is the appropriate time to complicate your life with this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome idea. And, and see, you know, yeah. I, I do some, I've done something similar in terms of backgrounds with uh, with mentor. And <laughs> this 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 was something that stuck actually. Something that stuck with Tom for a bit. Um, you know, he and took the B. points in mentor, and so they get to their home set. And I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be the mentor. This is the guy I've had in mind for this character the whole time, right? And I, Tom, in particular, uh-huh. was complaining. You know, his, he was playing the you know, he's playing the Fianna. His mentor is going to be Dead Man Dempsey. The rabies in chains back. He's right over there. He's thirty feet away from him in game. But Tom won't talk to the guy. <laughs> it, 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 so he's like, "What's my mentor going to teach me?" Like, when you talk to him, what, what do you want to happen here? You got to role play that. You took the points. You get a mentor, but he's not just going to appear and go, "How you doing, laddie? Can I get you anything?" No. <laughs> All right. Well, what about if yeah, you? Here- 
Here's your free XP. Enjoy. Yeah, right? Yeah. So what about if you pick a mentor and you still don't have a mentor? Um, You do have a mentor. You just haven't told me who he is. Uh, you know what? Now <laughs> is not the time. <laughs> I had to throw it back in your face. Oh, that creep. Former producer Danny, everybody. Former. <laughs> yeah, D- Dark Fate's another one that seems to throw a lot of Chronicles I, off I was going to ask, are there any other of those merits and flaws you guys want to throw in there? Because I'm quite curious no. now. Yeah, Dark Fate's one of those where if I have a player that wants to take Dark Fate, because it has a significant bonus to it, I make them develop that fate. Like I'm like, hey, so this is Dark Fate saying that at some point in time, your life is going to end. Uh, your player's life. Tell me your vision for how your player is going to end. Are they going to end in a fight? Are they going to end something like that? You know, whatever. I want to get their details. And then, because I'm maniacal as a storyteller sometimes, <laughs> uh, as the story goes on, I'm like, yeah, this is what you wanted your character to die? No, I'm going to have it do it this way. And I'll just kill the character. <laughs> I was going to say you're going to do the opposite of that. <laughs> sometimes. Yep. Or, it depends on how well the role-playing your guy. You know? uh, that's true. Or, or you do it exactly how they did it, but you just did it way sooner than they thought they were going to do it. That works, too. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly the way to do it, right? It needs to be painful. If you're getting the points back for it, you don't get to dictate when you're going to die. No. You don't get to dictate some cool, cool Ways event for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> See, now you know, though, this, this does strike me. Maybe maybe we do approach merits and flaws not as something that you get points back or, or spend points on, but that are balanced. Like, you take merits and flaws, and they're not even merits and flaws. They're like character builders. I don't know what the term is right now. But, like, each one of them is meant to be balanced and meant to deepen your character, meant to deepen their backstory, and they should have positive and negative aspects to each one of them. I think I think it definitely merits. Um, it merits, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Further, let's see if we can further, make that work. Yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely worth looking into further. I'm not going to say merits this time, goddammit. Um <laughs> Because cause it seems like there's something there. Although I, I hate the idea of, I guess, the carrot approach and getting someone to roleplay. You know, it, it's like Spider-Man. Action's his reward. You, you don't give him the prize money. You know, it should, shouldn't the um, the satisfaction come with making a good character, making someone in-depth? And, and well, you, I mean, am I talking out of my ass, Danny? No, but at the same time, I think it's a little 50-50 for me. Okay. You, know, we, you know, I picked the, uh, it was a flaw. It was a, it was a phobia. Oh, yeah, it's annoying. But at the same time, I still use it no, for you, the role-play you, aspect. No, you do. So I can see why it could be annoying because people will pick flaws and stuff in mirrors like that and then not play them. Or I had I had a player one time pick a flaw and I don't remember what it, the name is off the top of my head, but it's the one where you refuse to kill somebody in a werewolf game, um, <laughs> and and it was painful and it was it was less painful for me as a storyteller, but it was painful for the other players. Like they didn't get the points back, but they were constantly having to change their plans. The other characters were constantly imperiled, and their lives were made a lot more difficult. And this guy was just like, well, I can't do that. You know, I don't kill people. And and that's fair, but it didn't seem fair to me as a storyteller in terms of the, the actual impact on the game. It really only benefited one player. No, I agree. And, like, you know, if I, if I were the storyteller in that situation, I would actually delight in making the character pay for that. You know, in terms of, like, I would imagine his pack weren't, he wasn't their favorite, they were their favorite person because of all the extra hoops he's causing for them. But also the elders and the peers around the sapped going, who is this, who is this idiot? <laughs> you know, we, we were guys' fangs, we're born to murder and this guy that. won't do it. <laughs> right. And as a storyteller, that takes a lot of effort. So you just gave them bonus points, build their character even more powerful. 
and made your life as a storyteller harder because finding that balance where you're only punishing that one particular character and not the entire group who didn't buy into this is tough. It takes it takes effort and it takes buy-in from the group. It takes buy-in from the player. This is this is these are all the reasons that merits and flaws uh, are the worst things ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so, we've definitely made a case. <laughs> I actually go a step further when it comes to my players at my table. Um, I have them put a little bit more character development behind it. So a couple of things that I have to do, I have them do, is I have them establish, and this is outside of the mechanics of the game, what their character needs to make them happy. Like, what, what is their need for their uh, emotional happiness? And then as well, what are they trying to do in life? And then something, a weakness, like something that happened to them or an outlook that they have that uh, is preventing them from accomplishing that goal. And then whenever they do the merits and flaws, if it doesn't make sense to that character concept, I'm like, no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hey, guys, um, I really appreciate the, the time and the effort and the attention today. I apologize. I do need to step away. Grant's going to stay with you and talk through Savage Age. Grant understands Savage Age as well as I do. He and I have been collaborating now for some time, and uh, I look forward to hearing uh, all the crazy stuff that he comes up with or uh, commits me to when I uh, step away from the podcast. <laughs> well, Two words, insect wars. Thank you guys uh, very much. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks and for we'll, being here, Chris. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon, Chris. Bye-bye, thanks. Right, see ya. All right, so we don't have a whole lot more anyway, but I am very curious from Grant. Okay. Yeah, we, we do the uh, our inaugural favorite tribe and auspice questions, but we're Savage Age, or he's Savage Age, for uh, that matter. Uh, okay, okay, well, before you, I, I see what you want to do here. Okay, before you do this, because <laughs> now this is this is select. Mm-hmm. All right, here's the thing, guys, is when we have a new member join the Discord, mm-hmm. uh, we do this whenever possible sometimes. You know, sometimes you fall through the cracks if this didn't happen to you, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but we have a, a list of questions we give the people when they uh, join our Discord server, you know, standard kind of getting to know you icebreaker type questions, you know, related mm-hmm. to the game. So I, I see what you're doing here, Danny, but there were people that are listening that don't know what you're doing here. <sighs> okay. So um, if you want to answer them, you can join our Discord, which you can get through our website, by the way. That's RageAcrossTheInternet.com. No, that's not what I was doing, but we no, can do but, it anyway. But I just did that. Okay. So without further ado, go ahead, go ahead Danny. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Being as part of a big of a part of Savage Age as you are, which one is your favorite of all the different shifters that are being created or recreated for that matter? Uh, so that's, that's a loaded question. So obviously I'm going to say the Azhar because <laughs> I'm writing them. You know, I have to give myself props. But outside of my own created works, uh, I really like the, the Nagalu, the, the Were Dire Wolves, centralized in uh, North America. I think that their focus of fighting the wild versus the other two members of the triad is definitely on par with the feel and and story aesthetics that Savage Age really encompasses. Yeah, there's just so many. So I like the owl as well, which we haven't really went into depth with, which is the were turtles of the Mokole that uh, we're we're moving them as far away from the concept of Ninja Turtles as possible. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna bring it up. 
And yeah, you, you no, just, I love you. Just made Danny very sad. Yes, man. <laughs> my absolute favorite. So on, man. yeah, there, there's some ours. there's some layers that are going to be involved in, in those uh, tribes um, and breeds with the, the Nisimans that I'm developing as well, and uh, some curveballs uh, with the uh, uh, I always can't say this properly. The Nisus, the Nisus, whichever way you, you're supposed to say it, I don't know. Oh, the uh, the Macoles, the memories. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So we're going in depth with that and the concept behind those things, and uh, I think that those are going to add some layers of play that we haven't really seen uh, in World of the Apocalypse. Even though Shattered Dreams kind of hinted about the way that you could use it, I didn't like the way they did it. I think it made it too much of a, a fantastical element versus more of a spiritual element, so we're kind of twisting it to, to be a little bit more pertinent in that way. That's a cool idea. Well, I mean, the main thing about that, too, is it is it so much twisting as... Making it make more sense? Well, no, is, is the, the original intent versus the current understanding in a, in a meta-plot term. Right. You know? And then that's, the, that's the keys to make it make sense. Ah, I like it. That's so, cool. You know, I mean, like, how many of these things, these concepts that we deal with in Apocalypse, mm-hmm. even from those, have been perverted or misunderstood mm-hmm. where it was no big deal then? You know, and I'm not suggesting this per se... In fact, I'm aggressively not because wild being such a problem as it will be in Savage Age. But we can, we talk about the flux realm and how it's possible in Apocalypse to manipulate those wild energies and screw with reality. Mm-hmm. But, but it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's possible theoretically. But maybe in the Savage Age it wasn't. I'm not, again, I'm not advocating for that, but it was the example that came to the top of my head. Okay. The nightmare today was nothing then. For a social chronicle, this is, this is kind of a big thing that we've seen from a lot of the community that have been playing Savage Age is that Werewolf the Apocalypse is already a physical game. Um, it's focused on a lot of the physical action, but a lot of players like the social side of things. So for the Savage Age, because we don't have the advantage of using cities and you know the glass walkers and things like that to, to add those social layers into games, you know we, we've developed the, the Were Cave Lions, the, the Welewa, and they actually have a, so much potential when it comes to developing a pure social chronicle uh, if that's what the players and storytellers want to do. Well, I can also see a benefit of, um, you know, this This is an era where, where uh, you know, the delirium is... Uh, a lot less. Not it so doesn't much exist. Pro- yeah. Well, it doesn't even exist at all. Okay. You know, I mean, there could have been a, a beginning remnant. I don't know. That's why I kind of trailed off there. But, you know, well, so I, you... you the, way, the way we look at it is that, you know, humanity, if you see... I mean, I don't know about you, but if I see a tiger, I'm a little damn scared. It's a tiger, mm-hmm. you know. So um, we're going to go with that as well. You know, if you're out there in, in tribal society and you see this this animal that can decide to eat you whenever it wants, and then it changes into this big hulking war beast, I may not have the delirium to lean back on, but I'm damn sure going to be scared and react accordingly. Well, sure, but I, I think where I was getting at with that is that because there's no delirium, you you can have a situation where you are you are perhaps leading a, a small tribe of these are now my kinfolk from you know different points and you can have those kinfolk it's sort of like a built-in sept right for social aspects okay you know um and that even even then is rife you know maybe there's a sickness within that those kinfolk that's causing you to leave or a prophecy or i mean again endless possibilities Mm -hmm. but you know that's that's another that the delirium's not there (laughs) we also have been i'm not sure which supplement we're going to put it into but we also have have engineered the method that each Homed species is going to be understanding Gaia as a whole, but all of them are going to have a, a comprehension of the spirit world. They're going to know that you know where creatures are are blessed by Mother Earth, 
and that they can contact spirits and do those types of things. But they're going to have a different understanding of that concept based on each homid species. So you've seen in volume one, the Neanderthals, its understanding of Gaia was that they proliferate the great forms so that the others can defend them. So in that type of environment, in a scepter tribal society, if they, they know that their kinfolk to whatever were creature at the time is, is in their, their tribe, they're going to defer to them as their leader because, hey, I'm here so that they can do this job. And then the other two species have a different outlook. It's a cool idea. No, it is. And I think it's a, it's a great way to help again differentiate because uh-huh. you know like like brought up before you know there's so many different types of beasts and you know unless you've done what you guys have done it's just the just the one so how it's just just it's just larry <laughs> we, we know how larry works it's whatever so then, now I mean, we got a curly and mo too so. exactly exactly <laughs> and you know hopefully hopefully shemp hopefully there'll be a shemp too because variety is spice of life and we don't you can't prove it wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> I'm advocating for Shemp, my God. But hey, um, that is actually about all the time we have. Right, yeah, roughly. So, you know, I want to say, you know, Grant, thanks for sticking around with us. Thanks for coming no on the show in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this has been a blast. And, you know, you, you are welcome back anytime you want. We'd love to have you. Yeah, Grant, thank you so much for being here. And again, thanks to Chris. What you guys are doing and for the really the entire werewolf community is a big deal. It's very awesome of you guys to do this. And I, I'm looking forward to more of it. Awesome. Appreciate it. We definitely appreciate all, all the support from the community. You know, yeah, I mean, you need anything from us, you know where we are. And, you know, I, I hope to have you back soon. And, and again, beyond that, I, I really hope that this episode has gotten some people who were on the fence or who perhaps didn't Weren't really sure. give some attention. You know, I yeah. hope we shed a proper spotlight, you know. I, I think Abs- Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, yeah. we had the Discord that's up for, specifically for the Savage Age, and all of the dev team is, is very active on the Discord. So if one of our uh, customers is, is on the fence about going going into depth or they need some clarification on setting or even hey how do I start you know they feel free to drop into the discord and ask a question uh, we'll be we'll quickly respond back to them like this is how I would do it versus how they would do it um, and then they can go from there I mean it's their table they can play how they want but we're there for advice and to give any guidance they may need and I'll, I'll remind you guys on our discord that uh, the link to their discord is yep. there in the friends of the podcast section uh, I'll put their link on the, on the on show notes show as well to the, so we'll, we'll flood you with more people <laughs> <laughs> that works. I actually got a kick out of that when when I uh, I don't know if I told you, Danny, when I went to clean up the friends of the podcast section, mm-hmm. and you know I put Weaponized Inc.'s Discord on there. You know um, they got a flood of people that weekend, like a, a handful. Oh, that's awesome. You know um, a lot of our names that we're not talking about today because it's not about them today, right? Yeah. You know, but I think it was like what is it like six or seven, Grant? Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, about that many. And then like in one day, yeah, in like that's one awesome. one person came in at one point that mm-hmm. wasn't ours. Okay. And Grant's like, oh, you want a Porter's too? And he was the only person who wasn't that entire weekend. <laughs> I, I, I laughed for like 20 minutes on it. It was great. That's like beautiful. The one time he said something, it's the one person who had no idea who I was. Well, hopefully then Grant took him and steered him to us as well. I don't think that happened. What's up with that, Grant? Uh, I didn't even know y'all had a Discord until lately, so that's, a, that's on Chris. <laughs> Pass the book. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So I'm already a mod on two different discords. And, you know, so I, at this point, I've got like 30 of them on the left hand side. I can't even keep track of what I'm, what my, what my own guy says. So. <laughs> No, but this this has been a blast. You know, again, thanks so much for joining us. 
Yeah, we, we hope we hope uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, yeah we'll have to do it again, definitely. Um, in the meantime, for the rest of you people, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you try out the Savage Age. Check it out; it's definitely worth it. Um, you know, show them your support. You know, you can find it the books to drive through RPG, which again we have the affiliate link. It can hurt us, our feelings any. You know, you can that get on that. Make me feel better. Right. You can get uh, you get to their Discord through our show notes or through the friends of the podcast in our own Discord. I'll remind you guys that our our store is open now. Have a look. Check out the uh, the stuff in there. It's pretty good. I, we still got the uh, the sale going on for another week or two. Probably at this point, yeah. Ten percent off. Get your ten percent off code in our Discord. And um, you know, please keep those thumbs up, the likes. Keep telling your friends. Keep telling your friends' friends. You know, everything we can do to reach more people, to get more people into this hobby, to fall in love with games like a Werewolf the Apocalypse and Werewolf the Savage Age, for that matter. So you know, on behalf of Tom, who's hiding somewhere, Danny Tyson, myself, and uh, hey, our friends at Weaponize Inc. I want to thank you for listening. Keep howling. Take care of each other, and we'll see you later. Take it easy. Thank you.